Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Hey, listener, are you happy with your current chicken wings? Do you wish you had something a little saucier? If you answered yes, then it might be time for you to break up with your old chicken wings and get a new honey. Lemon pepper wing from Popeye's. Share the wings with your friends so they can see it's time to move on, too. Head to Popeye's and get six-piece honey lemon pepper wings for $5.99. At participating U.S. restaurants, price may vary. Hello and welcome to the Roto World Baseball Show. I'm your host, Eric Smolke, joined by Scott Pianowski as we continue our preseason position previews with the outfield position. Uh, We obviously are going to split this up into more than one episode because most of us have to roster a whole slew of outfielders um, in our league. So uh, today's episode is going to be part one, uh, where Scott and I are going to look at our outfielders ranked 21 through 40. Um, so we'll be focusing primarily on the outfielders to round out your uh, roster and then some of the deeper league guys. So um, if you don't hear us mention or if you hear us skip over some of those uh, stars, it's because we will be talking about them um, on the next episode. We want to make sure we can uh, talk about as many guys as, as possible here. But, Scott, we had we had some spring training games over the weekend. Were you were you tuned in? Are you are you excited by it or are you trying not to get, uh, you know, too caught up right from the start? I'm going to wait until we get a little bit deeper in spring training and we get the, the lineup to get a little bit more fortified and try to figure out where guys are slotting and stuff like that. For now, I'm just, it was more chicken soup for the soul, the crack of the sure. bat, the smack of the glove, just having a couple of highlights to look at. But I'm not sure that anything that happened on the field struck me as actionable. Yeah, and I love that the games are during the day. Um, as somebody who works from home, it was just nice to have baseball on you know obviously we're missing it right now because we're recording um in the middle of the day on monday and there's games going on right now but it's just nice to have that on it feels it feels like it's warmer than the 27 degrees in new york that it was outside uh because you know you got the sunshine and some some baseball on um so it was great for for me to be having that in my life again yeah it's it's great it's it's great to have in the background while you're working on something else. I mean, obviously, it doesn't make sense to have it on while we're doing this podcast, but I can't I can't deny that the next article I read for Yahoo will, will probably have the backdrop of some spring training game and, and maybe a you know a pitcher who's ticketed for double A striking out a an infielder who's ticketed for single A. But that's okay. Baseball is back, sure. and I buy into all the it's the renewal, it's the hope of spring, and all that stuff. I mean, I live in the Detroit area, so it's get your hopes up, but. What makes you? What puts more of a bounce in your step than when the weather gets warmer and you know people start walking their dogs and little kids are playing catch? You know, little league starts up again. Um, that's that's why I, Eric. That's why I think my baseball career didn't go that far. I grew up in the Northeast, so you you couldn't you know do stuff in the in the winter and you know, things weren't as sophisticated as they are now indoors. You know, yeah. so that, that's why I, I'm a mediocre golfer, a mediocre baseball player, and all that stuff. It's I, to, I blame the cold weather of New England. I had to grow up catching games in the snow. Um, there was nothing like blocking a fastball in the dirt in a 30-degree snowy weather day. Um, it catches you right on the inside of the elbow, and um, it, you feel it for a very, very long time. You were a catcher, so what, were you like the Mike Piazza of your town or the Pudge Rodriguez of your town? Or? It was definitely not the, definitely not the Pudge Rodriguez. Uh, okay. Mike Piazza would be a, um, a, a high compliment, um, you know, a little bit more of like a Cal Raleigh style. You know, the, I guess the average was okay. Um, but, you know, I was in a – I grew up in the city, so – um, admittedly wasn't the uh, the toughest competition. And then going to college to play in Texas was a, a rude awakening where you're just like, oh, these are guys who've been doing this all year long um, and, you know, had to step the game up a little bit. But it was fun. Um, so everybody everybody wants some. The uh, Linklater movie is probably loosely yeah. based on your, your baseball experience. I, I wish. I do love that movie, though. It's, it is a nice, enjoyable uh, enjoyable watch. But no, not not quite 
not quite as uh, as to the T as as what I experienced. Well, you know what everybody wants, Eric. Everybody wants some some fantasy baseball, some outfielders. I hope, hope you're drafted on Yahoo because Yahoo is open for business. Come and get it. Uh, let's give the people some intel. Yeah, um, the big question, you know, with outfielders has been this discussion of cliff or no cliff, right? A lot of people talk about like, is there a cliff in the outfield? Is there a big gap? Um, and I'm curious, as you were looking through your rankings, did you notice? Any sort of drop-off? Did you notice a cliff? What are your overall thoughts just on the, the quality within the outfield group? Yeah, this is something I think I've noticed more from my early drafts is that I've grown up on the idea that you could get a good outfielder anytime you wanted one and early in drafts, maybe side towards the infield pick because those positions aren't as deep. This is a year where I think I'm going to want to complete my outfield. Let's, let's assume we're playing in a mixed league, anywhere from 12 to 15 managers and we have to start five outfielders i want to be one of the first teams that completes my outfield i don't think there's as many fantasy exciting outfielders in that you know third fourth fifth tier and and this may go deeper than the guys that we're going to talk about today because we're we're going 40 deep with this Mm -hmm. with platoons with a lot of teams we have some of these teams like tampa bay they want a different lineup every every day i feel like there's like seven or eight teams like that the dh which i thought would actually help Outfield value for fantasy, I think maybe it's hurting because a lot of people shuttle that position between a few different guys. So I I don't think outfield overall, it's, it's certainly fun at the top. And there's a bunch of outfielders yeah. belong in the first round, belong in the second round, belong in the third round. But this is not the deepest outfield class I think we've seen in, in a few years. And I want – my goal is you, you don't necessarily have to attack it early, although one of your first couple of picks be very well be an outfielder. I'd like you to be one of the first teams to complete your outfield. Yeah, I think, and I think for me, I, for the most part, agree with you. I think obviously, like most things, depends on the league types you're in. Um, If you're in a 12-team league, um, or if you're in like a a league where you'd only start like three outfielders, um, I tend to agree with you where like there, there becomes a lot of question marks in those shallower formats. If you're playing in a 15-team league, to me, I like getting like three outfield spots in pretty early and then i'm happy to wait for a while because there's a lot of guys that are going like around pick 300 in nfbc adps where like i don't really know if i want them starting for me in a 12 team outfield but in a 15 teamer there are some intriguing profiles that i'm happy to kind of like take chances on and we'll talk about you know some of these guys at the end of the show we get to our our sleepers and our deep league options Um, but if you are in a league that's like three outfield or a 12 team league um, and if you're in a 12 team league that's like three outfield um, i would definitely be trying to get i would be trying to get some of those guys early before i get to some of those question marks um uh, let's talk about some of the the movers and shakers at the position um as oh actually i did want to ask you one question we've talked about multi-position eligibility um, before, you know, we talked about it with like Luis Renjifo in the middle infield, who is also um, outfield eligible. Same thing, Spencer Steer, we talked about in a bunch of episodes. He is also outfield eligible. Um, when you're drafting your outfield, does it matter to you about that multi position eligibility? You know, you've got guys like Jeff McNeil, Brendan Donovan, Whit Merrifield, their second base outfield. You've got like a whole slew of first base outfields, like the, you know, Luke Raley's and, Lamont Wade Juniors and Ryan O'Hearns and do you like that versatility in your outfield group or do you not care about that as much as you might with say your infielders it's generally a way to break ties Um, with Spencer Steer covers three positions which is particularly helpful Um, or maybe four it might be in Yahoo Nolan Jones may be first base eligible in Yahoo I know not other formats follow suit it's a it's a tiebreaker for me Um, most of the guys I'm going to draft are going to be as outfielders are going to stay in the outfield, but it's a nice way to, I like to have a team of Legos positionless fantasy when I can, I, I'm not going to force this. Don't take somebody just because right. they cover positions. If you think there's a clearly better option, but when players are similar and one player covers multiple positions, that's the way you break the tie. Yeah. I, I fully agree with you. I, I like having some of those guys, especially in, in deeper formats. Um, I don't want to force it. Um, We'll talk about one of those multi-position guys coming up in just a second, but I want to mention um, one of his teammates first. So there are two, there are three pretty trendy rookies um, going early in drafts right now: uh, Evan Carter and Wyatt Langford, who are teammates with the Texas Rangers, and then Jackson Chorio, who is on the Milwaukee Brewers. 
Um, we will talk about Evan Carter uh, later. He appeared in, in both of our rankings, so we'll table him for a second. Um, but I'm just curious your thoughts on Wyatt Lankford um, and Jackson Chorio here uh, and just in general the idea of outfielders within this or sorry rookies within this outfield class um can you see yourself taking these guys would it really have to depend on like a deeper league format it's going to be hard for me to be first in line for cherry i mean he just turns 20 next month with such a young age i'm not sure where milwaukee is right now where they big change off season for them new gm new manager they just traded corbin burns i I know the Central isn't the strongest division, but I don't think they're the best team in that division either. I, I mean, right now I would probably think this is about a 500 team. So I don't think there's any incentive. And I'm sure he got paid, but I, I don't know if there's any incentive to, to force anything with him. I'm probably not going to be first in line. I'd be more interested in maybe taking Langford. And I know we're not going to talk about Carter right now. I mean, what he did in the playoffs certainly moves him a tier yeah. or two up. The thing, this isn't fun to say because when fantasy, it's fun when we get hot rookie, new player, um, the shiny new toy, and I'm I'm a boring veteran guy. I, yeah. I'm, I think you get better values with players who, for whatever reason, they're in the middle of their careers and they're not people on the cover of uh, the Roto World magazine or stuff like that. I, I get why we're going to focus on a lot of these players because these younger players are going to become stars, but it takes time. I and, Agreed. Jackson Holiday. When we talked about the infield, I, he's. I'm not going to be first to Jackson Holiday. I'm not going to be first to Jackson Churio. I think Langford has certainly has a path to break camp with the Rangers. He's not guaranteed that. And then if you draft a player like that, it doesn't make the team. That's like, well, how long do you hold them? Can right. you trade them? What happens when injuries creep in? That you have a limited DL stuff like that. So it's it's not fun to say this because these are the future stars of baseball. And I think all three of these guys are going to be great players. But uh, Carter is somebody I could draft proactively. We'll talk about him later. I will not be proactive about Langford and Churio, knowing that if they end up having rookie of the year seasons, there's going to be a lot of FOMO there. Yeah, I think we tend to be ageist in fantasy baseball where we, we write off guys you know, once they hit 30 or even some of them sooner when we, we think they're, they're st- their stats have plateaued. But sometimes it's nice to just know what you're getting. Um, out of somebody i think i'm more inclined to take shots on these guys in shallower formats because there's going to be more on the wire right if i take um jackson chorio in a 12 team league and he doesn't pan out or he gets sent down you know a la jordan walker last year there's probably going to be something more uh you know something on the wire that can help my team as opposed to like in a deeper 15 team league if i take a shot at his current adp not obviously if he falls way down at the end of a draft um, you're you're risking more. For me, I think Wyatt Langford right now is being drafted as if he's a lock to make the team. Um, and I know a lot of people seem to think he's a lock to make the team. And I, I have some real questions about that. Um, Texas Rangers beat reporters and some people I know that know the inner workings of that organization have said they don't want to call him up just for him to DH. Um, and I know people think that's that's crazy. Like, what does it matter? He's got such a long career. What does it matter if he's not playing the outfield? Well, he's really young, and you want these guys to keep getting reps in the field because when they keep getting reps in the field, they continue to kind of hone their craft and they get better at it. Um, you know, DHing and doing just and doing just DHing is in and of itself a skill and can be a really tough mental task because you sit with your at bat for a very very long time. Um, and that can be a mental challenge for a younger player to have a bat at bat and then not be able to go into the field but have to just sit with that at bat for a long time in addition to not getting the reps in the field. Um, and the Rangers outfield is pretty locked in with Adelise Garcia, Evan Carter, and Leody Tavares. And I know people don't love Leody Tavares, but he is a really good defensive center fielder with plus speed for real-life baseball. Um, that's important for the Rangers. So... Yes, they could call up Wyatt Langford and use the DH spot to rotate those four guys around so that he can still get in the outfield. But I don't think that he's just going to be up if they're not willing to do that, if they're just going to slot him at DH. So I I like him. I like the talent. I have a hard time pulling the trigger on him where he's going in drafts right now because I just don't see guaranteed, you know, 450 plate appearances or 500 like, you know, some people are drafting him like he's going to get. And if you want Langford this season, I get the idea that it might be your acquisition cost might be better in season when, okay, 
he's in the minors. He doesn't start the year with the club. Or if they call him up, maybe he's batting seventh, batting eighth. I think there may be more optimism of the unknown today than there might be in the middle of the year where he might get dropped in some shallow leagues or he might be somebody you get as a throw-in in a trade in a non-keeper league. Obviously, the rules are totally different. You're playing keeper because we're talking about a guy who could be an impact player for like the next decade. But I have a feeling you might you might like the acquisition cost more a month or two into the season than you do today. Yeah. Um, we're going to go through some quick hitter, just like guys on new teams or, or you know, off-season notes. Obviously, as I mentioned before, these are going to focus on guys who are um, towards the bottom of our rankings um guys that are more for deeper leagues because we'll talk about the you know the moves for stars uh on next podcast um south relic is another uh brewers outfield prospect but he's been playing all around the infield this uh spring training the brewers used um called in dustin pedroia to help him work on his infield um frelick is a speed prospect um you know so there's a chance for 20 stolen bases if he gets regular playing time are you intrigued by the fact that he's moving all over the field or does this not move the needle for you? Oh, I'm just more worried. I mean, he's projected to slug under 400 may sit against left-handed pitching. The Milwaukee lineup. I'm a little bit concerned about too. Um, it's not a one to nine lineup that I believe in right now. I, again, I talked about them maybe being a 500 team. I feel like we'll need to force his way into my fantasy plans. I'm not going to draft him proactively. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, I love, in deeper formats, I love the idea that he could be somebody who's second base, third base, outfield eligible. Um, you know, by the time we hit a couple months into the season, um, but I, I don't think there's a lot of pop here, and the batting averages at the higher levels of the minors have been fine, but not great. So I don't think it hurts you, and I think it's interesting in deeper formats. But I'm not going out of my way. Um, that's a little bit how I feel about uh, Jung Ho Lee, who signed with the San Francisco Giants in the offseason. Uh, the 25-year-old came over from the KBO. Uh, he is somebody who – he's a 340 career hitter um, in seven seasons with the KBO. Um, he had more walks than strikeouts in his career so far in the KBO. Uh, last year, he played 86 games because of injury. He struck out just 23 times um, in 86 games. He did hit just six home runs, um, and he stole six bases. The year before, in 142 games, he hit 23 home runs but stole five bases. So he's projected to be a batting average asset who plays gold-glove caliber defense in center field but you're not going to get a lot elsewhere. Um, are you interested in him in some leagues for batting average and runs or, or not really? He can be a better real life player than fantasy player. You get nothing for his defense. I, I love whenever anybody has more walks and strikeouts. I love a player like that. Even though most projection systems are going to say in America, maybe he'll have the strikeout rate will creep a little bit higher, but he's going to have a tiny strike. He's going to strike out like at 9% of the time or something like that. But I need some, I need either a little bit more category juice or I need him to maybe be a 300 hitter in America. And right now, again, most of the projection systems, and I realize Japanese players aren't the easiest players to project coming over, but people think about him. Maybe he'll hit 285, 290, something like that. Um, I'd like some, I think he's going to be a very solid, but low ceiling, good player. And I think he'll help the Giants more than he will a fantasy manager. Yeah, and for me, I think I'm watching um, whether he hits in that leadoff spot or not because I think if there's an opportunity for you know you to get a 280 hitter um, who might hit leadoff in a you know a decent not great lineup, um, but that could be interesting for for runs scored as well. Um, I think in most places he is projected to lead off, um, so that intrigues me again for particular categories. Um, the Yankees made two outfield trades this year. We're not going to talk about the bigger one. Uh, we are going to talk about Alex Verdugo to the Yankees. Um, Verdugo is somebody who's kind of always hung his hat on high contact rates, um, middling power, not a lot, not a lot of speed, but just a, a solid, you know, average uh, or batting average, not that he is average, but batting average player. Um, the Yankees clearly value that contact in a lineup that has a lot of swing and miss. Are you interested in Alex Verdugo at, at Yankee Stadium? I mean, you, you hope if there's ever going to be 15 to 20 homer power for Verdugo, you would like to think at this point of his career, moving to a park as great as Fenway Park is for offense, it's not a, a park for left-handed power, at least not to the pull side. He, he drove Red Sox players crazy, though. I mean, maybe it's, it was a little bit unfair because he was part of the 
package that they got back from Mookie Betts, and that trade was always going to look bad. But um, I know he drove Alex Cora kind of crazy in Boston. Cora tried everything. He tried being patient with Verdugo. He tried maybe kicking him in the rear a little bit at times. Didn't really work out. And he, another guy who may not play against left-handed pitching, and I, I really want, no matter if you're in a shallow format or you're in a deeper format, I just want my guys to play six or seven days a week. I'm not positive that's going to be Verdugo. Yeah. So what are you getting here? A plus average. He's probably going to hurt you in home runs versus the average outfielder. He'll steal you know, three to five bases a year. Uh, I'm not sure he'll have the, the greatest lineup real estate. In this. And what's a good Yankee lineup? It's not a great lineup. I know they get Soto, and that's the big move. We'll talk about that in the next outfield episode. But I'm just afraid that Verdugo has kind of settled into a quality major leaguer, but he hasn't. They were hoping maybe he'd be an all-star. Maybe he'd be somebody who could contend for batting titles. I don't think he's turned into that type of player. I don't know that the work ethic is there. I, again, I know everybody in Boston was pretty much willing to drive him to the airport. Maybe I need to let that go. But I, I'm not as in on Verdugo, even switching to a better park for his skills, than maybe a lot of people are. I think also it's important to understand Yankee Stadium plays up for left-handed power, but it actually is worse for left-handed batting average because obviously with a shorter porch and right field, there's less ground for the outfielders to cover. So if you're not hitting it out of the park, it's much easier for, you know, line drives in the gap or fly balls to be caught. So there is some thought that like, yeah, Verdugo could see a power boost, but he could also see an average dip. Um, So it is going to depend on what his approach um, is like there. He's not the guy that's going to hit like 25 home runs. So if you get, as you mentioned, like, you know, 16 home runs would be a career high for him. If you get 16, 17 home runs, but he's only hitting 260, you know, the batting average goes down um, from his career. How valuable really is that hitting toward the bottom of the Yankee lineup? Um, so I, I'm with you. I don't mind it. I'm not avoiding it in drafts, uh, but I'm not actively going out to get it. And let me just put a point on Yankee Stadium. because This sounds kind of crazy, right? The last three years, uh, per the baseball savant park factors, it's increased home run production by 16%. And yes, yet it's been under league average as a run scoring park. That sounds impossible. How can you help offense that much with home runs? And yet, be neutral to slightly a detriment to scoring, but that's how the park is played. So I think it's easy to see the game, especially some of those daytime games where the ball's flying out of there, and you think, oh, my God, this place is a bandbox. You know, i got to keep my pitchers out of here. It's going to be a bunch of 8-6 games. That really isn't how the park plays. Yeah. It, when they score, it's often by a home run. We realize a lot of that is the shape of modern baseball as well, but it's actually a slight negative when it comes to overall offensive production. Agreed, and and definitely something that I think gets lost in the shuffle of of our general analysis. Uh, last move of the offseason. Are you at all interested in Jared Kelnick going to the Braves, allegedly playing a full-time role? They said they don't see the, a reason to platoon him. Um, still young. Are you, are you back in on him at like previous levels, or you just think that he could be a usable fantasy outfielder? I'm interested. Uh, he held his own against left-handed pitching last year, and the big thing with Kelnick is, we were, okay, is he going to strike out too much? Is he a platoon guy? And, and and I'll admit, look, I fell in love with him when he came over from the Mets to the Mariners, and I, I was counting the days to when he was going to call up, and I just thought he'd, he'd be – maybe I just made the mistake, and maybe this is why I pulled back by on some of the prospects we talked about earlier because I'm still a little bit scarred by Kelnick. But Atlanta's been so right about so many of the moves that they've made and the lineup depth. Now, there's a trade off here. The great thing is he gets to hit in the Atlanta lineup. The bad news is right now he's probably going to hit eighth, but they're not going to platoon him, it sounds like. And last year, Atlanta, more than anybody, was a team that just rolled out the same guys, even when they were way ahead in the NL East. And I thought maybe they should pull back from some guys. They still let everybody play. They let everybody run if they wanted to. Obviously, Acuna had a legendary stolen base season. Uh, Kelnick still just, what, 24, I guess it is, into this season? I'm interested. He's going to be... Now we can pick him in the post-hype years. You don't have to – you get him in a round where he falls on his face and you wind up cutting him. It really hasn't hurt you that much. You know, A lot of the players picked around him are going to be players who, who don't pop. So, uh, yeah, I, I like the, – the price pocket finally makes sense for Jared Kelnick. I'll be sure to have a share somewhere. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, you know, uh, prospect growth isn't linear, as we say, over and over and over again. He's still young. The talent is is still there. Um Scott and I are going to get to our rankings, but before we do that, as we've discussed, spring training is here. Uh, so for those looking to get ahead on the upcoming MLB season, grab your Roto-World Baseball Draft Guide. It's loaded 
with comprehensive positional rankings, projections, player profiles to ensure your draft is a success. Visit NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code baseball24 to get 10% off at checkout. That's NBCSports.com slash draft guide and use code baseball24 to get 10% off at checkout. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, so, Scott, we're going to go through the uh, bottom part of our, our episode for today. Uh, so we're going to start with our outfielders ranked uh, 31st to 40th, uh, starting from the bottom 40 and going up. Who are your outfielders in that tier? Brendan Nimmo got the number 40 spot for me on my outfield board and OBP machine. would like to see a little bit more category juice, but you'll get the extra volume of being their leadoff man. Mezutaka Yoshida, number 39 outfielder, Fenway Park, we know is a very good park for offense. I kind of wish he'd bat near the top of the lineup, but right now it looks like he'll probably open the season. Hitting fifth, Chaz McCormick. Last year, we weren't even sure if he was going to be an everyday player, but he earned a job in Houston, another good lineup we want to be invested in. Offense, power, speed. Uh, Chaz McCormick has a nice profile of skills. Jorge Soler had a monster power season. Kind of a little bit out of nowhere, although he did have a huge year with the Royals a few years back. Now he goes to San Francisco, so that's not going to help him. But he still probably is a very affordable 30-home run source. Marcel Ozuna, terrible start last year. Got benched briefly, and then the Braves went back to him. And, man, he slugged like over 600 the last four months of the season. He's a underrated power source and a top 36 outfielder for me. Anthony Santander, unfortunately, the park isn't as much fun since they've moved back to left field fences but it's a very deep lineup and, and he'll be in the middle of it every day i feel good about that Teoscar hernandez at 34 trades seattle for los angeles chavez ravine kind of closer to neutral but seattle's a really good place for a pitcher so hernandez probably moves at the right spot cedric mullins is a tough guy to rank for me i have him at outfielder 33 monster season two years ago took a step back last year i wonder if uh, he profiles to play all the time because he does struggle against left-handed pitching. And Estuary Ruiz, a little bit polarizing, might steal 70 bases, might hit three home runs. And we know Oakland, probably the worst offense in baseball. Hash that all together. He's my outfielder, 32. Very nice. Um, I am joining you with Brandon Nimmo uh, at my outfielder, 40. I have another Red Sox outfielder, 39th. It's Tyler O'Neill. I have Estuary Ruiz, 38th. I have Masataka Yoshida, 37th. Jorge Soler, 36. Evan Carter, 35. Spencer Steer, 34. Lane Thomas, for me, is 33. Uh, Jordan Walker is my outfielder, 32. Um, and then Riley Green is my outfielder, 31. Um, so, a couple questions on some of these guys for you. Uh, first, let's just start with Brandon Nimmo. Um, you know, you talked about boring veterans, mm. but... It sounds like, I mean, it seems like Brandon Nimmo is one of the more underrated assets um, for fantasy. Um, he's been a really good player for the Mets. Uh, what do you see in Brandon Nimmo as a, a fantasy profile that makes you interested in drafting him? I will say, I just, I was looking for this tweet before. Um, Eric Cross, who works uh, for Rotoballer, 
but also has a, a you know, fantasy tool shed podcast, a really great uh, prospects podcast. He posted a tweet of the last two years of Nimmo's stats averaged out together. So for the last two years, Nimmo has a 274 batting average with a 365 on base percentage and is averaging 20 home runs, 95 and a half runs scored, 66 RBIs and three steals um, per season. So what is it about that profile um, that you enjoy? I, mean, I love the consistency of it. I, a big thing for Nimmo that he stayed healthy the last couple of seasons. He, he was hurt in 2019. He was hurt in 2021. He did play most of the pandemic season, but it's just so hard to take that at face value. He's always going to have a plus walk rate. And even though he'll probably strike out about 20% of the time, that's actually ahead of the curve in the shape of today's MLB. We'll get hit by a few pitches, uh, but you know, with the body armor, maybe that won't be a big deal. It hasn't kept him off the field the last two seasons. I think it's important to note that the Mets, is is it a great lineup one through nine? No, but the top four or five, I feel really good about. I could invest in just about any of those guys. And I love Eric. I always think runs scored is the most unheralded of the five offensive categories. I love guys who get volume. And a lot of times people think, oh, well, he's a leadoff hitter. How many runs is he going to knock in? I mean, Nimmo's knocked in 64 and 68 runs the last two years. And last year, everything went wrong with the Mets offense, it felt like. I mean, Alonzo hit for a horrible average, and Brett Beatty couldn't hit his weight. He couldn't really get any traction at third base. Obviously, the pitching had a bunch of injuries with that huge payroll. They were never in contention. But you know, Brandon, a healthy Brandon Nimmo is going to be – I like the consistency. He's going to score runs, which I think you don't always pay for the – 274 average is a plus average in fantasy. It will help you. Yeah, he's not going to run, but he's going to be neutral in RBIs, and he's going to be a help in the other three categories. I, I think this is an underrated player here. Yeah, and I think uh, he's really good in a category that we um, tend to undervalue, which is runs. I think we forget about runs. Um, and a guy who's going to put up close to 100 runs, um, and I still think he will. Again, his average over the last two seasons is 95.5. The Mets' top half of the Mets lineup is still pretty solid. Um, I just think that that is an underrated um, that is an underrated skill this late in draft. This is what I want you to do, by the way. When you build your fantasy offense, I want you to think about leading your league in runs because that probably means you're going to lead your league in at bats or plate appearances, and that volume is a huge part. We always talk about fantasy football, running backs. We need volume. Yeah. In fantasy baseball, we want volume. What does we that mean? Volume. We want guys who hit first, who hit second, who hit third. That's much more valuable to me. I'll, I'll, if if I'm ever looking at two similar players and one guy hits first and one guy hits like fifth or sixth, I'm almost always going to want that leadoff hitter. We also tend to do that with football too, where we think, oh, if I have a piece of this good offense, sure. that will help my team. And we forget about that with, with baseball as well, that tiebreakers, you know, with just siding with guys and really in better offenses tends to lead to more bats, tends to lead to more runs, tends to lead to more RBI opportunities. Even if the talent level, is similar between the guys you're thinking of. Um, I want to talk about two speed first players here. TJ Friedel is 41st for me, so he just missed the cutoff. Um, and I do I do like TJ Friedel. Um, I, it's possible that I am dinging him a little bit too much for the, you know, the cluster of players in Cincinnati because he is the center fielder and he plays good defense in center field. Um, and so his job shouldn't really be in jeopardy. Had 18 home runs and, and 27 stolen bases last year while hitting 276, or sorry, 279. Um, so even if that average comes down a little bit, I do think there's value there. Um, and he is a little bit more well rounded than Estuary Ruiz, who, you know, stole 67 bases last year, but hit just 254, brings pretty much no power to the table. Um, given how the stolen base landscape has changed, um, how many more stolen bases there are available, but also how many more stolen bases you need in order to, you know, hit like 80th percentile in your, in your categories. How does that make you feel about drafting somebody like Ruiz who really doesn't give you much else besides stolen bases? I mean, I'm worried he's going to, you have to make up his power. You have to make up his RBI. You have to maybe make up his batting average. And right now on paper, he's not even batting in the top half of the Oakland lineup, which is probably the worst in baseball. He could hit seventh. He could hit eighth. He could hit ninth. We know it's a big park with all that fall territory. And if you have a player like Estuary Reeves on your roster, you can't have a second one. So it maybe locks you out of other players who have a similar profile. I would just prefer, unless he's a screaming value, unless your league has really washed their hands of him, I'd, I'd prefer to stay away from that. 
The thing with Friedel, to me, and I have him ranked a lot higher than you do, although I think to some degree it represents a deep tier where like my number 30 outfielder or number 39 outfielder may not be a big difference, but I think he's going to play against all pitching. I think the glove certainly keeps him on the field every day. And it's a little bit nerve, maybe nervous to look at last season and think, well, this is, he's not a 279 hitter and his career average is like 12 points lower and all that. But 18 home runs, 27 steals, a very high percentage of stolen bases. So I think the steals are real. The, I think the Reds are more glutted in the infield. That's more where I'm worried about the playing time. I, I think Friedel's going to play every day as long as he doesn't backslide against left-handed pitching. And I know there are some maybe some pitfalls in this team. I don't know what to do with Ellie De La Cruz, who we talked a lot about in our infield episodes. But I think Friedel's going to play 150 games, bat lead off most of the time. I think he's probably going to score like 95 runs, hit 15 to 18 home runs, be another plus stolen base guy, and hit for a decent average in a ballpark. Also, we want pieces of not only the lineup, but the park itself. Uh, I think he's set up to be a nice outfielder three, outfielder four value. Yeah, I, I definitely think I missed the boat on him in my early outfield rankings. I probably need to, to jump him up a little bit. I, I was looking a little closely at like the ATC projections. Um, all the projections kind of have him for much lower uh, home run totals and speed, as you pointed out. And while I agree that maybe like maybe 15 home runs is more likely, um, some of the projection systems have him down for just 20 steals, which just feels light to me, given what we know of, of his speed. And I think projection systems also don't trust his average. I mean, you yeah. know, the, the bad X has him down to 246. Uh, you mentioned ATC. Uh, you know, the bad X is Derek Cardi. Uh, Ariel Cohen does a great job with the ATC projections. And so I, I get that. That may break the tie for a lot of people. Do you take last year's average at face value where he's a plus average guy? Or do you look at the projection batting averages where he's a neutral to maybe slightly a detriment at batting average? How you solve and reconcile that may ultimately determine how you view Friedel at the draft table. Yeah. Um, and to your point, I agree with, on Estre Ruiz. Um, if I'm taking Estre Ruiz, I've failed earlier in my drafts. Um, to get enough stolen bases. But I have him ranked in my top 40 because I do think he has one elite, and it, and it is an elite tool. I mean, 67 stolen bases is obviously elite. So there comes a point in your draft where if you need that value, um, if you need that skill set, he, he provides the best value for it. Let um, me say one more thing about, about Ruiz, even though I don't want to draft him. Okay. Last year, rule changes, pitch clock, uh, the stolen base incentives right with you can't do the pickoff throws as much if bases are wider so baseball said basically uh, let's get the running game going and baseball said great let's run more so what happens you need more stolen bases i think there can be a misconception sometimes oh look everybody's running so i don't have to worry about speed if there's more stolen bases in baseball you need more stolen bases to be competitive in your fantasy league so that doesn't mean that some of your early picks can't be offense only. And, you know, you, you can't, I, of course I want Jordan Alvarez, right. He's not, he's not going to run at all or somebody like that, but um, I want to chip away. I want a lot of my players. I'm yes. going to take a worker, bee, worker B approach where I want a lot of guys stealing 15 bases, 12 bases, yeah. 18 bases. And I don't want that many players who don't run at all. That's the way I'll approach it. And that way I don't need to roster an Estuary Ruiz type, but exactly. I want, if I have, if I'm in a league where I start 13 or 14 offensive players, I'd like 80 percent of my roster to be actively stolen base contributors. I agree, fully agree. Um, we're going to end this section of it by just two Red Sox players, real quick. One, uh, we both have Masataka Yoshida on here. There's not a lot to discuss. I did want to point out that a report came out earlier, or sorry, late last week, since this is Monday, that he actually went to Japan in the off season and had jaw surgery, um, and admitted that he was playing through. Um, a jaw injury at the end of last year. And while obviously the jaw isn't uh, a muscle that is impacted by your baseball um, skill set, he did say that it was really uncomfortable um, and he was playing through a lot of discomfort in the final months of the year. I also think, as we talked about you know, with some other uh, positions earlier, you have a new player in a new country in a longer season. And so I think he wore down a little bit. And this gives a little bit more credence to why he wore down. In addition to it being a longer year, he was playing through a, an injury that required surgery and was playing through discomfort. Um, so we both have him here. I think you know, steady run production, um, batting average. I have Tyler O'Neill, and you don't. And so I'm going to talk about why I have Tyler O'Neill in my rankings, and you can explain maybe why you're not as sold, or maybe he just didn't. He just missed. Who knows? Um, Tyler O'Neill 
we're forever chasing the 2021 season where he hit 286 with 34 home runs and 15 steals. He did steal 14 bases and hit 14 home runs in 96 games in 2022, but he got hurt. Then he got hurt last year, and there was very public um, disagreements with his manager in St. Louis, Ali Marmol, about his effort. Um, and this was a guy that clearly needed a change of scenery, got one in Boston. Um, a couple things that intrigue me are that uh, Tyler O'Neill has a solid exit velocity on fly balls and line drives. Um, he did not really pull the ball a lot last year. He has pulled the ball more in his career. Pulling the ball more at Fenway Park uh, seems to make some sense for somebody that hits the ball hard because with the Green Monster, either those become home runs or you're bad. You, many people, as we talked about with you know Xander Bogart on previous episodes, a lot of right-handed hitters see a batting average boost at Fenway Park because um, you know you pull the ball off the wall it maybe instead of being a line a, a line drive out or a fly ball out is a hit. So even if you don't see a massive spike in home runs, um, you could see a batting average boost. So this is somebody who's a career 250 hitter, career 248 hitter, who could be looking at like a 270, 260, 270 year if he stays healthy in Fenway. We also know that he definitely has the power to hit 25 home runs if he stays healthy. And that's where I, I like... As of right now, Boston has talked a lot about signing an outfielder, right-handed hitting outfielder slash DH. Uh, they haven't yet done it. So there is an idea that Tyler O'Neill could get some DH at bats when they want to put Yoshida in the outfield and they can rotate some guys around, which may help him to, um, you know, stay, to, may help him have a little bit more longevity if he gets to DH every now and then. Um, I think that with the park upgrade, uh, maybe I'm just two in the bag for Tyler O'Neill, but I do think that like you could get have like a 20 homer, 15 steal season with a 260 average, and for me, I, I like that here. I like it too. Uh, he was somebody I considered as a top 40 outfielder. I think they're buying him at the right time, and even though it's frustrating as a Red Sox fan, they haven't been in on top shelf free agents. I thought some of their value acquisitions, Von Grissom, we talked about in our infield episodes. I, I thought he was a great move and he's somebody I'm going to draft proactively. And O'Neill, it certainly makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned Fenway Park, really good batter eye. And there's almost no foul territory. That's why you go to a game at Fenway Park because you're practically on the field where anywhere you're sitting. It's such a, it's, I think it's the smallest capacity in baseball. And there's, it's almost impossible to hit a, a foul ball that's in play in that place that somebody can make a catch on. It just goes in the seats. So uh, even though, Again, a little bit, we talked about Yankee Stadium being a little bit misunderstood because it's a homer park that doesn't play as a runs park. Fenway Park is a runs park that maybe isn't the home run park people think it is. They think, oh, well, look at the monster. It's just, it's just barely over 300 feet. And people have even debated that it's accuracy to the measurement. But a lot of the line drives that would be home runs in other park, it's swallowed up by the wall. But still, it's a great place for offense. He's still in his 20s. He has a 34 home run season on his resume. I think he can hit for at least a fantasy neutral batting average i i think he's a really good addition for it now brandon we don't know what the final roster will look like they have some young outfielders and some moving parts here but if he can get the 500 at bats and i realize that part of that assumes survivor bias he's not going to get those at bats as he isn't playing well but i think this could be the cheapest 25 or 30 home runs you roster this year fully agreed um let's get to our next tier and we'll talk about some of the guys that you had here some of the guys that um, i did who we both kind of have higher up in our ranks so who are your outfielders 21 through 30 yeah i think i cut off at 32 by mistake last time so let's just mention tj friedel my number 31 outfielder baskin robbins it's also my birthday so uh, congratulations to him ian hop number 30 in the chicago lineup just got deeper with cody bellinger coming back i think they're probably going to win that division Jordan Walker, post-hype season, outfielder 29. He's an interesting guy. George Springer, you talk about boring veterans. That's what he is, outfielder 28. He is Suzuki, again, part of a Cubs offense I would like to invest in. Outfielder 27, Evan Carter. Rangers didn't shy away from him in the playoffs. He's batting third or fourth during most of their championship run. I think he's ready to go right away. Riley Green is somebody I want to draft. I think the Tigers could steal this American League Central. It's not the strongest division, and I want all my pitchers to go up against these offenses. But Riley Green is a good ball player, and he makes my top 25. Nick Castellanos, kind of a boring veteran, hard-hit player, won't run a lot. Philadelphia lineup is deep. Outfielder 24, Brian Reynolds. Boring, low-market team, I get it, but he does have a broad set of skills. Outfielder 23, Lane Thomas is interesting to me because he just had his career year, and nobody expects him to duplicate that. 
but he can give back a lot of that production and still match a very modest ADP. I have him as a top 22 outfielder, Kyle Schwarber. Philadelphia offense, we love it. Uh, he's going to drive in a ton of runs for a leadoff hitter. We know he's going to hit 35 or 40 home runs. You do have to offset his average. He's my outfielder 21. And Josh Lowe could, uh, finishes my list, outfielder 20. Um, very nice. I have uh, Christopher Morrell as my outfielder 30. Um, I have Jaron Duran as my outfielder 29. Teoscar Hernandez, who you had earlier, as my outfielder 28. Um, I have Ian Happ at 27. Cedric Mullins, who you had earlier, I have um, 26. Uh, Nick Castellanos, uh, I have 25. Anthony Santander, who you had earlier, um, I have 24th. Seiya Suzuki, um, I have 23rd. George Springer, for me, is outfielder 22. And Josh Lowe is outfielder 21. Uh, just a couple quick notes on guys who you already commented on that I'll comment on, and we can do some deep dives on some other players. Um, George Springer, totally boring production, but I think we kind of know what we're going to get from him right now because he's produced pretty consistent seasons um, leading off for the Blue Jays. You're looking at about 20 home runs and anywhere from 15 to 20 stolen bases with a 260 or higher average. Um, that's pretty solid production that you can kind of bank on, um, and I, I like that kind of boringness is fine. Um, Anthony Santander, to me, another like really boring guy who – Pushes for 30 home runs most years. Um, you know, will hit 240 or above. Last year popped 257. Um, so, you know, maybe he's a uh, 30 homer hitter with a 245, 250 average. That, that's incredibly valuable. Um, Cedric Mullins, as you mentioned, I have some issues with, with the splits, and that's why he's 26 for me because, you know, the previous version of Cedric Mullins was a third-round pick. But we know there's still some pop. Um, we know there's good speed. So I do like Cedric Mullins. And then Ian Happ, you mentioned Ian Happ and Seiya Suzuki. Seiya Suzuki, um, you know, took a while to rebound from the oblique injury last year, but he hit the ball really hard all year long, and we really saw his production creep up. Um, and so I, I really like Seiya Suzuki this year. And Ian Happ, for me, is, I mean, he's cut his strikeout rate in each of the last two seasons. He had a career-best walk rate last year. His swinging strike rates are now better than league average. There was always this idea that he was a, a hit, a swing-and-miss player. Um, when he pulls the ball, he hits it an average of 99 miles an hour. Um, so he has plenty of power to spare. Um, and so I, I think he's a potential 25, you know, 15 guy if things break well. Um, and I just think that he's being continuously underrated. I, I love getting shares of, of Ian Happ. I'm so with you on Happ being underrated. And I may move him up after we finish this episode. It just, it's just I liked the Chicago lineup already. And now that Bellinger's back in the mix, everybody gets the buoyancy of the offense goes up. Now, you look at Ian Happ, right? He's batting third. Horner's going to get on base. Dansby Swanson's a good offensive player, Happ. And then behind him is Bellinger, Suzuki, uh, Christopher Morrell, who you ranked and I didn't, but he's, he's a good ball player too. This is a, a really good team, probably the strongest team in this division. And um, just getting Bellinger – and also getting Bellinger back, you know, he it's not like there's an adjustment period. It's not like right. he has to – justify this huge contract. We get worried sometimes when guys sign these huge deals. It's like, oh, no, he's, you know, look at what Trey Derner did last year. Marcus Simeon did a couple of years ago. You know, Bellinger already knows where he lives and where his favorite restaurants to eat and all that stuff. He's already broken yeah. in here. It's a exciting time to be a Cubs fan. And, you know, they've made some splashy moves you know, with the pitching staff, too. I, I think this is a 90-win team and an offense. It's not going to be the Braves or the Dodgers, but this is definitely like a top seven, top eight offense for sure. And, and Ian Happ has got the, the catbird seat. He's batting third. I agree. Um, I want to ask you about two guys who I put on my list who you don't have at all. Um, they're in my top 30, which is Jaron Duran and Christopher Morrell. Um, Jaron Duran seems at this point right now, the two, the two avenues for Jaron Duran seem to be near everyday starter for the Red Sox or traded out of town. And I think a lot of that will depend on the development of Sedani Rafaela and if he's able to handle center field or not. But as of right now, Duran is a starting outfielder for the Red Sox. Um, very likely, you know, 30 stolen base speed if he is a regular player. Um, has enough pop to hit, you know, double-digit home runs. Uh, showed a, a different approach last year that wasn't pull, uh, selling out for power as much as he was in 2022. And we saw a batting average jump. So I think that there's a 
a good chance projections are right that he's kind of a 260 hitter with with plus speed um so i'm curious why you're out on him and then also morell who seems to be the starting third baseman for the cubs right now yeah, with Durant, I just wish I knew he would play all the time, and right now he could be a platoon player. And as you mentioned, there's some youth in this organization where it's not even sure if Durant is the center fielder of the future, which you think, well, wait a well, minute, he's, he's had a breakout season. He's yeah. 27. Why wouldn't he be? But I'm not sure that he's in their long-term plans. Would he get traded to a team that would view him as maybe a bottom third offensive player or something like that? It's possible I could have him ranked too low. I, I think the projection systems aren't giving him a high enough batting average. I think he's a, he's – projection on fan graphs is OBP is like 318. I think he's going to be much better than that. But I just the uncertainty about the playing time and the platoon status made me a little bit nervous to rank him, but I'm certainly concerned that he could be somebody I'm wrong on and maybe he's the most inexpensive 100 run player on the board. Yeah, I fully agree there. Um and Morel for you, any thoughts on on Morel? Yeah, the thing I struggle with Morel is he just doesn't look physically as the type of player who should be a power guy. He's a shorter player I, I just i look at him i think he's like a 12 to 15 home run guy and then you see him play last year he changed his launch angle and he's like oh, no no i'm a 25 home run guy and i just don't know if i should take that at face value or not fair i i understand that i think the for me the the power is very clear um obviously there's swing and miss to his game and there's some defensive concerns um which could lead to him you know not seeing full-time at bats uh but I definitely am intrigued enough by the raw skill set to, to take him right now. Um, we both have uh, Riley Green in our rankings. Um, I, I also think we're kind of in for a, a potential breakout here. What, what about Riley Green's profile excites you? I mean, he's always had the pedigree, right? He was drafted early. Um, I mean, last year he was going to have a breakout season. It was just a matter of him getting hurt. And then when he came back, it was maybe two or three weeks to get his timing back. Probably going to bat second in this Detroit lineup that I think is bad. I know the AL Central I'm talking about, you want to gang up on it, and, and maybe the Detroit lineup doesn't go one through nine deep, but I like the top of the lineup. I mean, Torkelson just had a breakout season. I think Kerry Carpenter, who just missed my list, is somebody you want to draft. Uh, Green's going to bat second. I think he's maybe 20 to 25 home runs. I think he could steal 12 to 15 bases. He's going to hit for a plus average. I think in his peak seasons, he may be in the 290 to 300 range. And also, look, I'm not a scout, but you just he, the way he fills up the uniform, he, he hits the ball to all fields. He's a decent defensive player. I He reminds me of the player that maybe we thought Michael Conforto was going to be, maybe a little bit more athletic. I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm, I'm just over the moon. He hits the ball hard. He, he has intelligent at-bats. He works deep in the count. I think Riley That's Green is going to be like an all-star someday. That's the part I think gets overlooked when you said he hits the ball hard. Um, you know, I, I think that people look at him as a real, a, a very good real life defender who will hit for a solid average. But he had an eleven point three percent barrel rate last year. His one fourteen point four max exit velocity is the same last year. Was the same as Christian Walker and uh, Christian Walker and Jordan Walker. Um, and those are guys we think of as power hitters. So there's really no reason why Riley Green can't also have that kind of power. His exit velocity on on fly balls and line drives is 96 miles an hour. That's really good. Um, Now, we don't need him to sell out for power because he also has good speed. But it's to say that he could very easily be, you know, a regular 15, maybe grow into a 20 homer hitter without having to sacrifice like lots of batting average because of how hard he hits the ball. So I, I agree with you. I think we're underrating Riley Green's offensive profile. And then I mentioned his name just now, and you mentioned his name earlier, but I also think there's a little bit of post-type value for Jordan Walker here because there was that up-and-down part of the of the first season. There were some issues he had to work on in terms of you know some swing and miss early on in the year, but I, he was really solid overall as a rookie. Now seems locked into you know everyday plate appearances, um, and I think People are still drafting him high, obviously, but not with the fervor that we were drafting him last spring. And anybody who comes into Major League Baseball at age 20, age 21, isn't over their head right away. That That's a win. I think just the expectations were over the moon. For, we're a little bit over the skis for Walker last year. I mean, he's going seventh, eighth, ninth round by the end of draft season, but he's going to be a star. It's just a matter of when. And I realized the St. Louis lineup – they're a little bit. You know, we don't know is Brandon Donovan where he, where is he playing today? Is he batting leadoff? Is Tommy Edmond hitting first? Is Tommy Edmond hitting eighth? It's a lineup that's going to be a little bit different every day. But mm-hmm. Walker right now projects to be their number seven hitter. He doesn't have to end the season there. 
I still think the arrows pointed way up on Walker. It's just a matter of when it happens. And you see, remember, he was a year ahead of schedule. Last year, initially, it was like, oh, yeah, he'll be in AAA and maybe get called up in the middle of the season. And then he was so good in the spring training, they felt like they had to bring him north to start the year. And maybe that was to his detriment and his confidence get a little bit shaken early. But I still think I still think as highly as Jordan Walker about Jordan Walker's career as I did 12 months ago. Yeah. Um, we both also ranked Evan Carter. You're a little higher. I just have some concerns about his ability to hit lefties right now, but not so much that I dropped him out of the rankings. I just had him in the lower tier. You had him um, up here at 26. I think there's clearly like, you know, 15, 15, 15, 20 upside from him with, with a solid batting average. Um, we're both tepid on Nick Castellanos based on where he's going in drafts. Um, I have him 25. You have him 24. For me, I saw real splits in the first half and second half last year that were tied to an approach change, which concerned me. Uh, Castellanos hit 301 in the first 86 games of the season with 13 home runs and a 26% strikeout rate. In the second half of the year, he hit 235 with 16 homers and a 29.5% strikeout rate. He seemed to be selling out for power a lot more and got to that power, but he got more strikeouts too. So for me, I see these projection systems that have him right here as a 260 hitter. I don't think Castellanos is a 260 hitter if he's hitting 25 or more home runs. Um, I think if he's going to sell out for power, I think the batting average is going to be closer to like 245. But why are you iffy on him? You know, maybe it's a mistake to be tr- trying to chase more consistent players, but I look at Castellanos the last four years, 225, 309, 263, 272. And I, I don't know. I, I just wish he'd just hit 278 every year and I could feel good about it. I, I feel like there's a real possibility. Last year, the strikeout rate climbed up to 27.6%, which is getting making me nervous. This guy's always been in the in the low to mid 20s in strikeouts. Last year it went up. The walk rate has continued to, to creep down a little bit. We talk, Eric, about how player development isn't always linear, but the second half of careers when players start to decline usually is linear, and I'm just afraid that the air is, maybe it's hissing very slowly, and this is a very deep line. You know, he drives in 106 line, uh, runs last year. The Phillies have a top five offense as far as I'm concerned, so I want to draft players. I think Trey Turner's a first-round pick. I think Bryce Harper's one of the best second-round picks you can make, but I'm just afraid that back nine for Castellanos, I think he could hit as low as 240, 250. He did steal 11 bases last year. I don't take that at face value. He had no history really of running proactively until last year. He's in his thirties now. Um, I'm just afraid a back nine player with the, the strikeout rate starting to creep up. The walk rate has never really been his thing. I'm afraid maybe he hits for a negative average and you get 25 home runs and 90 RBIs. And also he's not a great run scored guy either. Last yeah. year he scored 79 runs uh, the year before with some injuries, 56 runs. He'll bat deeper in that lineup, so the players behind him won't be as likely to drive him in. I think he's just a little bit overrated for my taste. Fully agree with everything you said. Uh, we're going to end the show by talking about some of our deep league um, options or some sleepers that we didn't yet mention here. Uh, but just a note, you can find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports. That's Amazon.com slash NBC Sports to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, so any guys we didn't yet mention so outside of your top 40 that intrigue you as potential young sleepers or, or deep league guys? I mentioned him in passing, but I think Kerry Carpenter is ready to hit 25 or 30 home runs. And Detroit lineup, it's one of those, I want to invest in the top half of it. I, I don't want to invest in the bottom half of that lineup, but I think there's decent value there. I know it's hard to trust Starling Marte because he's in his mid-30s. You think, well, is he going to continue to run? But He's getting drafted so late right now. Yep. I think the Mets lineup is better than people think. I think there's 15 home runs here, 35 stolen bases here. We mentioned Kelnick. We don't need to go deeper into him, but I, I really want you to draft Kelnick. And also, I'm, I'm glad we're pronouncing it right. It's not everyone wants to call him Kelnick. It's Kelnick. I, I know it doesn't make sense the way it's spelled, but you want pieces of the Atlanta offense, and he's the cheapest way in. Cincinnati scares people because they have too many good players, but if you squint, Will Benson has post-hype pedigree, right? He was drafted out of high school as a first-round pick. He's a good defensive player. Maybe it takes an injury to clean up his playing time, but if somebody does get hurt this spring and we know that Will Benson gets 500-plus at-bats, man, he looks pretty interesting to me in a Cincinnati lineup that's exciting. Yeah, um, I fully agree. I co-signed the Kerry Carpenter and Starling Marte picks. Um, I had them on my list. Um, I will also mention uh, James Outman, who I think um, is getting dinged a little bit because he had some swing and miss issues. But um, he went, well, he did this really great thing, which we love to see uh, rookies do, where he came out of the gates really hot. Pitchers adjusted to him. He struggled. He adjusted back and ended the season on a strong note. Um, so for me, that speaks to his ability to make adjustments. Um, we don't want to read too much into spring training. He did hit a homer off a lefty in his first game. Those types of things are important for young players like that because that's part of the knock on him is he doesn't hit lefties well enough. So the more he does that, the more he shows the team, but the more he also shows uh, himself. And an expensive um, way to get into a lineup we want, right? I talked about exactly. how can we get an inexpensive way into the Atlanta lineup. Atlanta and the Dodgers are the two lineups we most want to get invested in. James Outman is maybe the most reasonably priced piece in this offense. Yeah, um, I wrote about Parker Meadows. Um, I wrote an article trying to find this year's Josh Lowe, as in you know a player who had some prospect hype, who was fine but not great in their their first you know appearance in MLB, who could break out. Um, and so I think Parker Meadows is a guy who could hit leadoff for the Tigers or in the top part of that lineup. I think there's some interesting power speed there. I don't know that he goes you know full Josh Lowe and winds up as like a top twenty outfielder, but I do think that there's there's value in his fantasy profile um you mentioned starling Marte, and i really like starling Marte. if you're looking for deep uh for speed at the end of drafts i will also add brenton doyle from the rockies and harrison bader on the mets um as deep speed options brenton doyle swings and misses like a lot but he also plays gold glove caliber defense the rockies are going to keep him out there in center field and he will you know he can hit 15 homers too but he steals a ton of bases you have to just expect a 230 batting average um and harrison bader right now is a starting center fielder for the mets we understand that you know he has always had some injury issues um but you know when he's on the field he has an intriguing power speed combo to him and i like that and then also i'll just add we talked about him earlier but sadane Rafaela is somebody i'll take gambles on late in drafts because he has real speed um, if he makes the team out of camp, it's going to be because he's the starting center fielder. So he's either going to start in center field in AAA or the majors. You're rolling the dice, but he has a difference-making speed if he is their starter in center. And I know the Mets pitchers would love it if Harrison Bader gets the center field job because he's a plus defender. And, man, last year, I mean, in just 98 games, he stole 20 bases in 23 attempts. He was 17 for 20 the previous year. He, the category juice is always going to play with Bader, even though he might hit for a negative average. Yeah, and also just just to throw three more names out because we talked about how like if you're in 15 team leagues, there are options late. I love a little power trio going late in drafts right now, which is, is Giancarlo Stanton, Jack Sawinski, and MJ Melendez. They're all guys who are likely not going to hit for really high average, but they're all guys with real difference making power. Um, Stanton looks great. I mean, he's noticeably thinner. He's done a lot of work on his body apparently to to add more longevity um and he, he was incredibly unlucky last year in his babib i think you know stanton could easily hit 230 again and he crushes the ball so you know 30 35 home runs in yankee stadium is not out of the question so gets this knock for 
having a lot of swing and miss to his game, but I wrote up on him. He's actually has one of the best plate discipline profiles um, in all of baseball. The issue is that he sometimes he takes too many called strikes. So he doesn't actually swing and miss that much. It's that he gets himself into bad counts. So when he does swing and miss, he's already behind in the count and that leads to an elevated strikeout rate. Um, but so I, I think Swinsky's never going to be a batting average asset, but I think he has legitimate power to go along with 15 stolen base speed. Um, and Melendez is another guy, like a young player on the Royals who was adjusting to being a full-time outfielder last year. I think he's a guy who could hit 240 with, with plus power too. So those are guys, you know, and then your Matt Walters and Nelson Velasquez is if you need late power that I really like. The thing I struggle with with Stanton is my first blush is like, well, okay, great power. How many games are you going to get? I can live with that. In a lot of leagues, the replacement value won't be that bad for the outfield if you have to go to the wire for four or six weeks for a replacement. But he hit 191 last year, and he hit yeah. 211 the previous year. And this is over 101 in 110 games. You know, if it was like just a washout season where you played a month, okay, fine, I'll wipe it all out. I'm, I'm just afraid that he's just one of these outfielders now. I mean, he, he's almost like a Joey Gallo type now. Where he's going to hit a home runner. He's going to strike out. And – Man, I wonder. He's been with the Yankees you know, since 2018. I he got traded there after a monster year with Miami. He gets off to like a three for 17 start. The Yankees fans totally turn on him. I, I just wonder what his career would have been like if he just played, if he stayed in Miami sure. the whole time. Where, where the, yeah. the fans and the media don't live and die with the team the way they do in New York. And again, look, he shouldn't have to embarrass. He has embarrassed himself. He hit 38 home right. runs that first year. He hit for a plus average. But it's just so funny that here we are the Yankees lineup and you're like, Oh yeah, they get Aaron judge and he's, he's a monster. And you know, they got Juan Soto and you know, he's on base machine and you know, Gene Carlos Stanton, we don't even want to talk about him. It's like, you, you don't want to touch him. Like he's, he's dipped in radioactive waste or something, but I think Yankee fans would also have been okay. If he stayed in Miami, only yeah, probably maybe he should have changed his name. Maybe Mike Stanton would have, yeah. wouldn't have these problems. I don't know. It would have given the team more flexibility to, you know, put judge at DH sometimes things like go. that, that they weren't able to do. Um, we covered a lot of names here. We are going to continue our outfield preview uh, on the next episode where Scott and I are going to go through our top 20 um, outfielders. So make sure you come back for that episode. You can find us on Twitter. I'm at Samsky NYC. Scott is at Scott underscore Pianowski. And we'll check you on the next episode of the Roto, Roto World Baseball Show. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.